You're listening to The Local Maximum, episode 303. Time to expand your perspective. Welcome to The Local Maximum. Now, here's your host, Max Sklar. Earlier this summer, I was uh, walking around, wandering around a bookstore somewhere, as I often do. I don't know why I have so, many, so much time to wander around bookstores, but, I, you know, I have to drive around a lot, travel around a lot. And so when I when I get up and, and stretch, a bookstore or a library is always a good place to do it. So I was walking around a bookstore somewhere, and I saw a book uh, on ancient Egypt. Nice-looking cover, inviting. Looked like it wasn't so long that uh, I was never going to finish it. Uh, so I picked it up. Now, I know there's a meme going around that uh, I guess all the men in the world are supposed to be thinking about the Roman Empire these days or, or some, something like that. I don't really understand that meme. Uh, I'm not sure about the origin of that. But I think Egypt, ancient Egypt, is just as interesting as uh, ancient or, or classical Rome. Uh, ancient Egypt is also much more mysterious. It's, it's so much older, and it factors into the Bible, and I guess Rome also factors into uh, the, uh, the Christian Bible. Um, but, um, but ancient Egypt uh, also factors into the Bible. There's various collapses in dark ages where we don't really know what's going on. And then all of a sudden it comes back and we know what's going on again. And also the religion seems fascinating. Like, why spend decades building these enormous tombs, for example, you know, organizing you know, your entire economy around it, seemingly? So Egypt is cool. I got this book, uh, Pharaoh, by Alexander Houle, and um, it was maybe not the historical narrative that one might start with, uh, nor is it the mainstream history that one would start with. It looks at ancient Egyptian history from a biblical perspective, and in particular, the age-old perspective of who is the Egyptian pharaoh that presided over the Israelite exodus from Egypt under Moses that features so prominently in the Bible, specifically the book of Exodus itself. Well, many people have asked this before, of course. You might be flipping through one of those late-night History Channel shows or something like that. Oftentimes you see this from a Christian perspective, uh, and sometimes there's a sticking point where they seem to find some evidence of it, but it doesn't quite match up with the chronology that's given in the Bible, or, or like the chronology that's given in the Bible and then the chronology given by the archaeologist or the Egyptologist don't quite match up, and so they can't they have a very compelling, um, they have a very compelling theory, but they can't quite get it to work. And um, you know, they might want to offer an, an alternative uh, chronology to match the Bible. But mainstream academics, while admitting there is some room for error in their calculations of who was king when, uh, seem to be pretty confident that their timings are not off by centuries, maybe a few years here and there. So, but not centuries. So, so you're at kind of an impasse there, and. I, for one, don't believe that there is some major conspiracy among Egyptologists. I think that, uh, you know, I think that people <laughs> get into Egyptology because they, uh, they enjoy the subject. I don't see any other reason why you'd want to do it, uh, though I'm sure they can um, be uncertain about some things or even get some things wrong from time to time. Uh, still, uh, the Exodus is such an earth-changing narrative that these types of explorations are just inherently interesting, I think, which is I, th I think why I picked up this book. Uh, Alexander Houle's Pharaoh argues for a rearrangement of our current knowledge of Egyptian history that matches the biblical timeline, uh, but includes loads of arguments and synchronicities, for example, in terms of how the calendar works and how the king's list works. And so that helps make the argument. So it was a big uh, learning experience to pick this up. Now, I should point out that... Uh, when I personally approach the topic, I don't feel compelled to believe that everything that happened in the past happened, you know, on the biblical timeline. When you go further back, you know, I'm certainly convinced with the evidence for the many millennia of prehistory, which, you know, doesn't exist in the Bible, um, or at least not directly. And the truth is that there is no archaeological evidence for the Exodus from Egypt. And I infer from that that uh, if the story refers to a real event, uh, then if it indeed infer refers to a real event, then it would have been in smaller numbers than the book of Exodus suggests. Um, but still, there's no reason to believe that the cultural memory is not based on a real event. And, you know, some of the specifics that the Bible gives in terms of locations might well be true. And 
I know there are people who are certain it's all made up on the on on, the, on one extreme end, but the story does seem to align with what we know about ancient Egypt in in, in many ways. So I, even though I can't completely rule out that this is some kind of fable created in ancient Mesopotamia or ancient Israel, uh, I put better odds on there being some real event that inspired uh, the cultural memory. Uh, there, there are people, by the way, who seem to have a psychological need for it to be a fairy tale, just as there exist people for which, you know, it must all be true as written. Um, you know, I, I don't kind of see it either way. So it's a hotly, hotly debated topic. It seems like everybody, everyone with a theory comes with lots of circumstantial evidence to show that it's a perfect fit, but uh, these need to be weighed uh, against the the negative evidence, you know, somebody has to cross examine them. Somebody has to, you know, <laughs> you you don't have a fair trial if only one lawyer's side is allowed to speak. And then also, you know, alternative theories have to be weighed against each other. Like if I have a theory where I have all this evidence that that seems to stand up under cross examination, and then you have a theory that also has a lot of good evidence that seems to stand up under cross examination. Well, <laughs> now we have two competing theories. Now they need to be weighed against each other. So. I realize that in order to truly understand this debate and understand Egyptian history, I had to get, you know, a good mainstream primer on ancient Egypt. So in order to do that, I, I went to Amazon and I found the course, The History of Ancient Egypt, which is a series of history lectures from Bob Breyer. And I'm not quite done with it. I'm still, I'm still going through it a little bit. Uh, these are excellent courses, by the way, from, from a mainstream university scholar, which gives you a, a high-level overview of ancient Egypt, and I highly recommend them. I, I particularly enjoyed it because these lectures were recorded in the 90s on Long Island, and that's, I grew up in the 90s on Long Island, and um, they were recorded at uh, C.W. Post University, whether that's what it's called at the time. Uh, which was somewhat close to where I grew up, I think. Uh, now it's called LIU Post. Um, and so there's something really familiar about these lectures. Uh, obviously, I wasn't going to college then. I moved out when I was 12. But it could just be you know, Professor Breyer's attitude uh, and, and the way of speaking that I recognized from Long Island in my childhood. Or, or <laughs> I thought it could actually be that I did see him at some point, either like, like on a school history trip or maybe on like a local television or like, you know, some, some school television or something. It, it, it's possible. He seemed very familiar. So uh, it, it, and I especially think it's possible because Bob Breyer is one of the world's foremost experts in Egyptology and, and mummies. You know, which is, you know, kids are really into mummies. And so if someone wanted to get a quote or some information while on Long Island at the time, probably even now, I'm sure they'd go to him. So I learned a lot about ancient Egypt so far from this course. Uh, first, and I already knew this part, but uh, ancient Egypt is, is like the, the history of it. The, the time, timing of it is vast, thousands of years of history. And I've heard it said that Queen Cleopatra, who was the last pharaoh of Egypt before it became a Roman province, is actually closer to our time chronologically than it is to the building of the pyramids. So for us, Queen Cleopatra is ancient. For Queen Cleopatra, the pyramids is even more ancient. Now, obviously, the the, the alternative uh, chronology that Alexander Houle um, might be a little bit different and might move the pyramids up a little bit. But, but that notwithstanding, still in the same order of magnitude here. So in fact, uh, uh, Dr. Breyer points out that ancient Egypt had archaeologists of their own in ancient Egypt to learn about still more ancient Egypt, which is like crazy if you think about it. So I've also gotten acquainted with the chronology of ancient Egypt uh, that we know and that has not changed since the 90s. Um, you know, there are, there are lots and lots of dynasties or ruling family, and they're numbered. They'll be like, you know, Dynasty 1, Dynasty 2, Dynasty 3, which is kind of confusing because then, you know, somebody brings up, hey, then under Dynasty 12, and you're like, wait a minute, which one is 12? So it really takes a lot of getting, getting used to. Um, but uh, each dynasty was a ruling family, and, you know, the, the first one, King Narmer, he was the first one to unite Egypt. He becomes the first king or pharaoh of the first dynasty. Um, and then you see Egypt's power rise and fall several times. Uh, so it starts with the old kingdom. That's Narmer. Uh, you know, a, a few couple dynasties down the road, they, they start building these enormous pyramids, notably uh, Snefru and Hufu. Uh, those are the big ones that we all know that we see. Uh, you know, on TV and all that. Then a couple hundred years later, you have this King Pepi II, who reigns for 94 years. I think that's a historical record. Uh, you know, he became uh, king when he was six, and he died at 100. 
And so soon after he died, you know, society just seems to collapse. Um, and, and then you have this like, you know, uh, century or two centuries long of just, you know, <laughs> we have some uh, like very little historical record. Uh, then you have this middle kingdom, which gets it together again uh, with a slightly different religion or, or actually kind of a, I don't know if slightly is the right term there. They build large temples and things, but not the type of pyramids that were done earlier. Then the Middle Eastern Hyksos come in. They take over for a while. And finally, the local pharaohs are back in charge with the new kingdom. So it rises, it falls, it rises, it falls, and then it rises again, finally, uh, with the new kingdom. So the exodus, by the way, is usually placed in the new kingdom, although who will move some of these things around, especially that uh, that 94-year ruler, uh, which we'll get into in a moment. So I also learned from Dr. Breyer's lectures uh, a lot about how we know what we know and why there are sometimes difficulties in archaeology and getting to the bottom of certain facts uh, for Egyptologists. Kings, for example, they'd be buried in multiple places. You'd have several tombs. You go in one king's tomb, the mummy wouldn't be there. Maybe the mummy would be in another tomb. Maybe the mummy doesn't exist anymore uh, you know, or, or you know, was, was, was moved elsewhere. Maybe it was because they were trying to evade grave robbers, which happened all the time, or maybe they just wanted monuments in multiple places. They had a very well-developed religious and philosophical beliefs about the dead and about the soul. Uh, one illustration of the soul that they had in Egypt that I found interesting was it had kind of people's heads attached to a bird flying around their body. And so from, from my kind of Western perspective or, or, you know, my modern perspective, I guess, it just it looks kind of ugly, like uh, it's a head attached to a bird. But if you think about it, it might just be another way to illustrate an angel or like an outer body experience. Like maybe it wasn't, maybe it wasn't the, um, you know, maybe, maybe it's not the, the actual shape of the bird itself, but it's to illustrate how, how else would you illustrate kind of, kind of that outer body experience, uh, um, uh, uh, type of, um, type of thing. Well, oh, oh, you become a bird. Okay. I guess that kind of makes sense. You know, the religion also placed a lot of weight in prophetic dreams, which I find interesting. Um, and this is illustrated in the book of Genesis as well, where, uh, dreams were believed to be prophetic, uh, but it was supposed to take expertise to interpret them. Um, I also learned that they really like cats, and the ancient Egyptian word for cat was miu, or something like that. Um, also, uh, it's very difficult to do archaeology in certain places, particularly in the wetter delta area, you know, where the Israelites settled, uh, where the mud and whatnot ends up you know, swallowing lots of ruins. I guess that was kind of the, the explanation there. I'd like to learn. I know there are people who have tried doing archaeology there and have gotten somewhere, but maybe not as much as, as, as we would like. Um, so Dr. Breyer also gives a, a really great point to counter the arguments that uh, I'm sure you've heard this. The, there's a lot of like conspiracy theories about the, the pyramids, that the aliens built the pyramids. You must have heard that one from the History Channel. Uh, there's that meme from Ancient Aliens. You know, I'm not saying it's aliens, but it's aliens. Uh, but in, in the course, we, we uh, see that they were actually, you know, you could go to Egypt and you could see some of the first attempts at pyramids, which basically starts out with a little monument to the dead. And then they start stacking. Uh, why not? Why not stack a monument on top of another monument and so on and so forth? And, you know, there are also a bunch of failed attempts as well, where this guy tried to build a pyramid, but it kind of started caving in. So they built a pyramid somewhere else. So what's remarkable about the building of the pyramids is not the technological know-how. Um, technically, they were feasible, and Dr. Breyer goes into several ways they could have been built. But what was remarkable was the social organization and economic conditions that allowed for it, which is why it's not uh, often reproduced. But that's what you had in, in Egypt at the time. That's why Egypt, ancient Egypt was Egypt, the social organization. So... Back to the Exodus, the biblical Exodus, and back to the overall timeline. Uh, Hul's changes are very complicated, and the, and the arguments are complicated. That's, you know, that's why it's a whole book. But remember that 94-year-old king? He gets kind of moved around a bit. And uh, Hul argues that the evidence is thin that this sixth dynasty uh, was actually the sixth chronologically, and that this dynasty essentially ends with the Exodus. Uh, so while he, prevents, while he uh, presents very compelling evidence, 
it will be an uphill battle to weigh it against the evidence produced over the many decades that has uh, constructed the mainstream narrative. I didn't get a chance to ask everything. Um, and, you know, I'm not an expert. You can't, you know, in order to have a really good discussion, you'd have to weigh this against, um, you'd have to weigh different experts against each other. But I'm sure Egyptologists would bring up additional evidence, such as carbon dating of mummies and, and things like that. Uh, you know, I'm sure... I'm sure there are answers for, uh, who has, has some answers for this, and then they'll have to be kind of weighed. So I think you're going to learn a lot from this discussion. I, I know this book has led me to learn a lot more about ancient Egypt, and, and, and you might be inspired as well. Uh, also, we're going to think about the problem, the process of puzzle solving with evidence. So questions that I want you to think about in this discussion are, uh, how much weight do you put on different pieces of evidence? You know, there, there are different ways to do it, and all are consistent, and, and, and there are different ways that are, that are consistent with Bayesian mathematics and Bayesian thinking uh, and the scientific method. And also, how do you put those puzzle pieces together? Do you kind of say, okay, well, these pieces of evidence seem to be the most ironclad, so I am going to um, set them in stone and then, like, you know, kind of build everything around that? How do you pick which piece to set in place first? Uh, those are those are kind of interesting questions. Uh, a lot of this is like putting together a puzzle, which is why another reason why it's so so much fun, so interesting. Uh, so now one more thing. So uh, so that's what you're gonna hear about today, and uh, I hope you look forward to it, and I hope you uh, find it as interesting as I do. Uh, now one more thing I should point out before going forward: our guest is in Israel. I'm not gonna say where, and this interview was recorded before. The war broke out earlier this month, but uh, I have been in touch with today's guest since then, um, and so you know, obviously we we wish them well, and we're we're going to talk about the situation on the on the podcast uh, as as it develops. Uh, so, without further ado, my next guest has developed a particular expertise in history, dating, mathematics, and other unique and intriguing subjects. He has been studying in the Panavez Yeshiva for over 20 years, and he is the author of Pharaoh, Biblical History, Egypt, and the Missing Millennium. Alexander Hool, you've reached the local maximum. Welcome to the show. Uh, yeah, thank you very much. Uh, I'm delighted to be here with you. Uh, yeah, yeah, me too. So most of my audience is not too familiar with ancient Egypt, um, other than what you might get from, you know, popular culture or casual readings. So uh, given your research, uh, before we get into, you know, what you're saying, what are some misconceptions that people might have about ancient Egypt, uh, its state, uh, and the pharaohs in charge? Um, well, in, in general, we, we must realize that um, there are basic misconceptions about history uh, in, in the general terms. People, many people who are outside um, the nitty gritty of, uh, of, of any hist historical um, uh, discipline, um, believe or, or led to believe that, it, that the history is like a science and it is rock solid and robust and the general opinion of academia is um, unbreakable it uh, is rock solid and is nothing to talk about. Um, that is not the case. That is really not the case. Um, the more one delves into history, the more one realizes that um, history is not is a not um, a recondite field of research. There are elements of the unknown uh, because you're going into the past. You can't get the full picture. You can get you can try and build with whatever archaeological find you have, any documentation you have, but to be able to get a full picture is extremely difficult. And therefore, uh, in the end of the day, you're going to have to um, settle with conjecture one, one way or another. Um, and basically, you're trying to put the jig pieces of jigsaw together. There are always going to be pieces missing of that jigsaw. And sometimes the pieces missing are crucial pieces and can give you a completely different picture than actual reality of the historical uh, story behind what we're trying to work out. So that's number one in general. Um, but in Egyptology is actually, uh, it more emphasized this problem because um, many, uh, most, most people think that it's just a simple question of uh, ordering the kings uh, from the beginning of the, the, empire, the, the, the creation of the Egyptian state and just following the kings one after the other 
And if we can get a chronological order of the kings, then we've basically got a basic history of, of, of the Egyptian empire. Um, that is not the case because um, Egypt was a very big land uh, and it can uh, accommodate um, several empires. In fact, we do know that um, during history, during Egyptian history, there was what we call the Lower Lower Egypt, which is actually North Egypt, although we call it Lower because of its low elevation, and Upper Egypt, which was the South of Egypt. And there were sometimes, during the course of history, uh, concurrent empires, Egyptian empires, running at the same time. So it's not just good enough to know um, the list of kings. We have to know where they fitted in in history and when were their um, concurrent regencies, when their consecutive regencies. And this all uh, adds in uh, complications in when we want to try and build a picture of uh, Egyptian history. Yeah, it's very interesting. By the way, I should show the book just to prove that I have it right here. <laughs> Pharaoh, uh, Biblical History, Egypt, and the and the Missing Millennium. Uh, so you get a picture there. Um, right. So it seems like with Egypt, from reading this book, it sounds like we have far fewer pieces of that jigsaw puzzle. I was almost, I was talking the other day about, you know, American history. Like if someone came and said, oh, you know, actually, uh, Teddy Roosevelt and... Uh, James Madison were were presidents at the same time. I'd be like, oh, that's crazy. Like, whatever, you know. Uh, but um, Egypt is, just to get a sense, like how long ago are we talking about when we talk about the Egyptian state? We're talking about huge lengths of time, aren't we? And 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 give us a sense of what is the timeline of the, of the Egyptian state. Right. Well, according to uh, the conventional chronology, um, we're talking about uh, the beginning of the Egyptian state 3,000 uh, years before the Common Era. Uh, that's the beginning of, of uh, and it went all the way through to um, the Second Temple because Darius, which is actually brought in the Bible who constructed the Second Temple, he was actually uh, a ruler in Egypt and he's, he's part of the dynastic era of, 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 of Egyptian history. So uh, it extends all the way from 3,000 BC to to, to uh, just uh, very shortly before the common era. Right. So that's how that's what 3000 years. That's, you know, that's <laughs> it's not even if you count back 3000 years before now, that's you're already in that time period. That's that's crazy. Uh, um, so or, or yeah, you would be at 1000 before the common era. That's OK. Just trying to put that wrap my mind around that. Um, right. So you mentioned Darius. You have a few kind of like um, time markers that 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 you came across where you you sort of uh, you sort of discovered that or, or, or come to the conclusion that like everybody can kind of agree on what year this is. Maybe it's Darius. Maybe it's with someone else. What are some of your like um, road roadmaps when you're when you're trying to lay out Egyptian chronology roadmaps, road markers, I guess. Right, right. So that's what you, that's the, the first problem to uh, um, to in any any kind of a, a, a chronologist who's trying to work out an historical framework. Um, before the Common Era, um, we don't have the luxury of a common dating system. That's why we don't have any problems with uh, uh, any basically historical events from the Common Era onwards, because since the whole world was using the Common Era and we're still following that Common Era, so. Any date which was uh, referred to, we can easily extrapolate back and know exactly when that took place uh, relative to the present day. However, in before the Common Era, um, civilizations did not have, uh, uh, be, uh, before the Greek, it actually a few hundred years before the Common Era was already the Greek dating. It also had produced Minyan uh, Starot, uh, it's called. It was uh, also a common era of dating. Uh, but before that, before the Greeks introduced such a system, Basically, every civilization had kings and they dated documents uh, and inscriptions according to the reigns of the particular kings. So we might even be able to form um, a chronology of the kings or a certain group of kings that we still don't know where in history this group of uh, kings actually lived. So we need we have another problem to be able to work out after we work out actual chronology of the king to work out where in history uh, they were. Now, um, it actually, in fact, the absolute dating 
of uh, Egyptian history, anywhere in history, it's actually, you, 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 you can't go to the uh, Egyptologists because they don't know. There is no absolute dates um, of the Egyptian dynastic era. What Egyptologists have to rely on is um, absolute dates from the Assyrian era, which are interconnected with Egyptian history, and therefore build um, their relative chronology of Egyptian history um, based on those yardsticks um, of the Assyrian era, and the Assyrian era is also based on the Persian era, the Babylonian era, and the Persian era. So if there's any mistake, in, in it has the domino effect of completely um, uprooting the whole of absolute dating um, of Egyptian history. So even if we've got a relative chronology of Egyptian history, we still need to get a firm absolute dating system where we can pin our Egyptian chronology onto. So yes, um, a major, uh, a major um, uh, yardstick would be um, the Second Temple, which is everyone agrees upon roughly um, when that took place. We know it was Darius who established it. And since Darius was um, part of the 27th Egyptian dynastic era, then uh, we can move uh, backwards and be able to uh, fit, if we have uh, a chronology, a, a relative chronology of Egyptian history going back from Darius all the way to um, the beginning of the Egyptian era, then we have uh, an absolute dating system um, for the Egyptian dynastic era. Yeah, very interesting. You mentioned there was a, a, a technique that's used uh, well, you mentioned a few things. You mentioned radiocarbon dating and, and sophic dating. Yeah, what what are the how how do those kind of fit in, in in terms of trying to piece the puzzle together? Right. Well, I think the most important piece of information um, about Egyptian about Egyptian history and Egyptian chronology is the sophic dating system, um, because firstly, it is something which uh, is really unsusceptible to falsification. We have to always be wary of a falsification of, a, of the manipulation of documentation. But something which is, uh, which is unsusceptible, insusceptible to such a, such a kind of uh, actions uh, is very useful. Now, these are astronomical dates which were um, referenced over the course of Egyptian dynastic history. Um, it could spread over a thousand years of Egyptian history. Um, where the Egyptians marked the, the rise of the Doxar Sirius uh, when it took place, and they referenced it with, with, uh, with regard to the Egyptian calendar. Now, this is quite crucial because the Egyptian calendar, not like um, the Julian calendar, has only 365 days. Uh, the Julian calendar is 365 and a quarter days to fit in with the solar year. But the Egyptian calendar only has 365 days. So the first of, uh, the, of the new year, the first day of the new year in the Egyptian calendar will wander throughout the course of history, throughout the seasons, uh, because every four years it will drop one day back in the, in the seasonal year. So if we know a sighting and, and a certain reign of a king dated by the Egyptian calendar, and we have another sighting of many years beforehand, of uh, 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 the rising of the Sirius star, also dated by the Egyptian calendar. And we can work out um, how many days have elapsed by looking how many days the Egyptian New Year has fallen in between the two periods. By doing that, we basically have a skeleton chronology of establishing how many years um, but, um, it, 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 well, well, ex expired between the first sighting in a certain king year of a, uh, one of the Egyptian king and the second sighting in, in that relevant king year in which we have a second sighting for. And we have several sightings of, the, of astronomical sightings and dated to the um, Egyptian calendar. One from we have from the 12th dynasty, we have from the 18th dynasty, 
And we also have from the 27th dynasty also astronomical datings, which we can use to identify how many days elapsed between the 12th and the 18th, and how many years elapsed between the 18th and the 27th. So if we have a rough time for Darius, so now Darius was in the 27th dynasty, so we could actually work out already how many years there are to the 18th dynasty. So that is quite crucial. And in fact, it'll actually take us all the way back um, from the second temple with Darius all the way back to um, the Exodus. Because um, following uh, the years of the Bible from Darius, the second temple, all the way back to um, the Exodus and following that back in using our Sothic dates leads us to the 18th dynasty, uh, the beginning of the 18th dynasty for the time of the Exodus. So what? So we have this, I'm trying to like think in my head, okay, so what we need in order to do this, this type of Sothic dating, we need to have some kind of Egyptian record, right? That um, references this this star, and then we also have to have on the same record uh, a, a date in the Egyptian calendar. So, how are are those um, like widely available for every dynasty? Are they they carved in stone, or how does that work? No, it's uh, it's it's thankfully because there's so much archaeological uh, work done. Um, they have uh, uh, found inscriptions or documentation of various sorts that do reference um, these uh, sightings. And they have given us a basic skeleton idea um, of, of when the, of how the, how the, the Egyptian chronology looked. For example, if I know that the series start in a certain king's reign took place um, in um, the first of Toth, um, in the, in, in, that's the one month in the Egyptians calendar and uh, we know in another king's reign the same sighting took place in uh, the first of um, um, I can't think of the name of another Egyptian Egyptian calendar name let's say the first <laughs> I don't think I can help you on that uh, one well, let's go to, to, um, uh, whatever okay, let's call it X so we know and, and we, since we know that the, the sightings of this of the of the Sothic um, of the of the series star always rises in July, whatever. Um, so therefore, so in between those two kings, however many days there are between the first of Toth and the first of month X, it has fallen back. Um, to, 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 but in that year of the king, it was the first. The the, the fourth of July was um, in um, the first of Toth, and many years later, the first of July fell in the first of month X. So we can, and we know how every every four years it drops one day. So we can work out how many years there are uh, between the two. So yeah, we have those a few dates which we have, um, but they give us those landmarks between um, the twelfth dynasty, the eighteenth dynasty, and the twenty seventh dynasty. Interesting. Now, I, those those dynasties are, are numbered um, in the conventional chronology. Do they come one after another or does the conventional chronology also include like reorderings of this? Right. Well, um, as it happens, um, from the 18th dynasty um, all the way to the 27th dynasty, the general consensus of opinion is that they were consecutive. Um, in my research, I found that this is actually indeed true. Um, I correlated the information from uh, Egyptian history, uh, from the chronologists, the work they've done, and I correlated it with information from the Bible, and I found perfect matching. For example, um, if we go back the following the Sothic dating um, from Darius, we arrive at the beginning of the 18th dynasty um, for the Exodus. Now, we know, following the Bible, that 520 years after the Exodus, um, Shishak, the King Shishak from Egypt, ransacked the storehouses of Rehoboam, uh, the son of uh, Solomon, the king, in Jerusalem. And indeed, if we follow 520 years following um, the beginning of the 18th dynasty, we come to a matching king in Egyptian history 
known as Shishak, Shoshek. Uh, following, uh, going on, if we take um, another 250 years from Shishak, we arrive also, as dictated in the Bible, to a king in uh, Egypt called Tiraka. Again, following the Egyptian records, the consensus of uh, Egyptian chronologists, indeed we find 250 years later, the King Tihaka. Once again, following that, Tihaka, 103 years, uh, following the, the biblical data, we arrive at Pharaoh Once again, with all the information garnered by Egyptian historians and chronologists, we also arrive at the King Pharaoh So, to, to my mind, this confirmed uh, the great work and analysis of conventional chronologists in creating a uh, historical framework of Egyptian history from the beginning of the 18th century all the way up to Darius, uh, which is quite crucial. Darius is 27th, is that? Yes, Darius is okay. 27th. Gotcha. Cool. Yeah, so I guess but, but before we get into the Exodus, because I want to definitely ask about that, but like, uh, first I want to ask, so before the 18th dynasty, uh, we see a very uh, different picture in your book than mainstream. So how is your process of, how, how is your process different from um, from the conventional uh, process of gathering evidence and putting the pieces together? Uh, what allowed you to come to new conclusions? Right, well, I think, um, I think the major difference, the major difference in approach I took is, um, generally speaking, um, conventional chronology is based on putting everything you have, any information, archaeological evidence, historical evidence, anything which we have, uh, which talks about, portrays, uh, relates to uh, the particular area of history you are talking to. It's all put together and try and try to understand everything with all the information uh, and things which are contradicted and proven to be false are omitted. Uh, everything else uh, is put into the into the the the, the basket, and and and, and we form a, a historical picture and historical chronology from that. Um, basically, you're innocent until you're proven guilty. Any information is taken as true until it has been proven false. Now, this is unfortunate because. Um, it's going to bring in information which is um, irrelevant, which is uh, wrong, which is unreliable, but because it hasn't been proven to be false, um, it's going to now disturb the whole picture which is being garnered, which is being created by um, the historian and the analyst. Um, I didn't do that. I, uh, from the outset, only... Uh, looked at evidence which I which I could determine was completely uh, non-susceptible to falsification uh, and therefore um, could be used as solid ground to be able to build a chronology. I looked for the Bible data, I took the Bible data and I took this information which from archaeological information, for example like um, the, the astronomical dating of the Sothic cycles and uh, put together um, the chronology which actually fits with the biblical data and with the authentic um, archaeological evidence. And I found no contradiction whatsoever. Uh, on the contrary, I found harmonization uh, which allowed me to draw conclusions which others have not. Interesting, interesting. So let's let's talk about the Exodus, or maybe we'll talk about the. Um, we'll start with the pharaohs that are often associated with the Exodus, which would be Ramses the Second, and um, you know, for those of us who have you know listened to information in archaeology, we we often hear about uh, Merneptah because uh, you know the the Merneptah. Um, because there's 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 documentation there. I believe that uh, you know he he uh, uh, that 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 establishes Merneptah as as after the Exodus. What um, what what where do those where do those guys fit in uh, to the to the story? And um, and and then we can go into where did you fit uh, Exodus into the story? Right. This um, 
this is the common belief um, that the Pharaoh of the Exodus was Ramses because um, um, it's mentioned, the, the word Ramses is actually mentioned in the Bible, um, the, the Israelites exodus, uh, and they, they exited um, Egypt from Ramses. So uh, it's naturally assumed that it must have been that uh, Ramses was around that time. Um, however, um, the, 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 the problems which are uh, presented by identifying Ramses with the Pharaoh of the Exodus are quite overwhelming. Um, for example, um, the whole of the campaign of the Israelites 40 years after the Exodus into uh, the land of Canaan, the destruction of the cities the, uh, and the 30 kings mentioned in the Bible, um, we do have archaeological evidence of mass destruction of all the major cities that were destroyed. Uh, we have uh, exact uh, archaeological uh, representation, uh, which fits in perfectly, but they're all much, much too early. In fact, uh, they're even before the, 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 the time of Ramses. So we've got the destruction of uh, the Israelites campaigning into the land of Canaan uh, before uh, the reign of Ramses. So that automatically negates Ramses as the Pharaoh of Egypt. Um, the fact that the, um, that the, 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 the Bible refers to the city of Ramses does not necessarily mean that Ramses, King Ramses, was actually alive at the time. Uh, the Bible does use um, terms for the, in the future, names that are referenced in future times. And in fact, it's actually even hinted in the Bible when actually Pharaoh speaks to Joseph, although the verse talks about Ramses, but when it, the verse is actually quoting Pharaoh, he doesn't actually refer to the name Ramses, which uh, indicates that at the time uh, when Pharaoh was talking, uh, the name of the town was the name of the city was not actually called Ramses. It was a later date, but the Bible refers to it as Ramses, maybe indicating because uh, King Ramses called this name his the city after that. After that, that it was a, a prestigious uh, area which the Israelites the Israelites were, were settled in by the Pharaoh at the time. Yeah. Great. So yeah. yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, so Ramses um, is really false, very, very short for uh, for a, a true identification of the Pharaoh of the Exodus. Hmm. Yeah. So uh, how did so so where did you find the Exodus fell? And the Exodus is, um, I believe, is not mentioned in the Egyptian records. So how did you get that? Uh, how did you get that date? Right. So for, so already um, just with the Sothic dating. Um, um, I arrived at the conclusion that the Exodus took place in the uh, uh, beginning of the 18th dynasty. Uh, and then I went to look for archaeological evidence around that time for um, the Exodus. And, and I found a tremendous amount. Um, I think the most um, vivid uh, piece of evidence, archaeological evidence, um, was discovered by someone called Ed Casper, which he, uh, he, 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 he told me over, um, that he uh, was watching a, 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 um, a television broadcast about um, the mummies of Tutumos III, Tutumos II, and the Queen of Patishput, uh, which was at, uh, also his aunt, the aunt of uh, Tutumos III, and the nanny of Patishput, and they all all those mummies are actually still uh, exist to us today, and they've been analysed um, with CAT scans and and whatnot, and they have discovered analysts have discovered that they are covered from top to toe with um, boils. Now we know from the Bible that uh, at the time of the Exodus there was the plague of boils. Now just at the time that Tutmos the third, Tutmos the second. The nanny and they not they were not biologically related all have boils from top to toe so we have vivid corroboration um that there was a plague of boils at the time of Tutmos the third we also have an inscription by his aunt the queen Hattishput, who refers to uh wandering people 
uh, leaving Egypt. How that fits in perfectly with the exit of the uh, Israelites. And um, uh, and she references that the, the destruction of Egypt at the time, which is places the perfect setting for the Exodus at the beginning uh, of the reign of Tutmosis III. Interesting. And, you know, uh, so uh, is that there was some. Um, so who was the, the pharaoh of the Exodus that the Bible actually refers to uh, in the book of Exodus? Right. So so that now it gets a little more complicated. So we mm -hmm. do have um, quite ca um, quite categorical evidence that Tutmosis III was at the time uh, was around at the time of the Exodus. In fact, he was even king, but he wasn't the king of the Exodus. In fact, Psalms refers to during the plagues that there were a number of kings. So here we come into this uh, concurrent empires um, at the same time. Uh, and it happens to be um, that at the time of the Exodus, there were actually three concurrent um, regencies um, uh, uh, over the whole of Egypt. Basically, um, the north of Egypt was where the persecution, the main persecution of the Israelites took place in Avaris, in Zoan, the biblical Zoan, in Ramses, the city of Ramses. That was in the north, in the delta. Um, but Tutmos was actually in Middle Egypt. He was a king in Middle Egypt. Um, he um, and uh, there was an, actually another another set of kings who were who were reigning um, uh, from the 13th dynasty in south of Egypt. So there was three actual empires reigning at the time of the Exodus. The, the actual kings of the Exodus um, happened to be. Um, what is referred to as the Sixth Dynasty. Obviously, now, um, if we put everything in perspective, they won't be called the Sixth Dynasty, like we might be yeah. called the Seventh Dynasty. Uh, but they were, they, were, they were concurrent with the 18th Dynasty, but they were uh, the Sixth Dynasty. And uh, what it appears to be, they, they, were, they weren't actually native Egyptians. They were part of the Hyksos rulers. Uh, most uh, Egyptian historians know all about the Hyksos. According to Manaslo, they reign for uh, almost 500 years. Um, we have uh, uh, references from Tutmosis III and Habisbud that they actually got rid of them altogether, the Hyksos. This was evidently shortly after the Exodus. Um, they took the, um, the initiative to be able to rid themselves of the Hyksos after the destruction which took place in the Northern Kingdom. Uh, but the destruction mainly took place in the Hyksos Kingdom um, which was the, the sixth dynasty of Egyptian kings. So, yes, it was the pharaoh of the Exodus, as it were, was the last king of the sixth dynasty, uh, Nefeker the Younger, who, according to the Egyptian records, reigned one year. Um, the king before that, according to the Egyptian records, reigned 94 years. In fact, the only wow. king in history who reigned such a long time. Uh, and indeed, in Jewish record, we also have uh, such a reign of the, one of the kings during the persecution. So yes, the sixth dynasty is also we have uh, other all kind, other evidences that it was actually the sixth dynasty, which happened to be the Hyksos, which were reigning at um, the same time as the beginning of the 18th dynasty, uh, when and they were actually Hyksos rulers, uh, which were uh, after the Exodus, which were was the, the, the Sixth Dynasty came to a close, but uh, a new influx of Hyksos kings took over, uh, but they were shortly um, destroyed uh, and um, got rid of by um, Tutimus, who slowly but surely built up um, Egypt, a bit like Germany after um, the destruction of the First World War. And uh, he became the Napoleon of ancient history. In other words, why, while the Israelites were wandering in the desert for the 40 years, um, um, the, the Napoleon and Tutmos III built up, rebuilt Egypt and actually campaigned into the land of Canaan quite successfully uh, and established um, uh, a state inside Canaan itself. So uh, 
so this is interesting. To, um, it, it's interesting to think about the idea that there are multiple empires in Egypt and that these dynasties are um, are contemporary. Um, should we be able to find, like, uh, if this were the case, some kind of, I don't know, references to each other or how, like, you know, um, <laughs> did, did they ever send each other messages or tablets? How does that work? Uh, how would we look for evidence uh, uh, um, to uh, to confirm this? Well, um, being being separate uh, dynasties, so they weren't if they were, you know, they weren't naturally um, uh, in 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 correspondence with each other. However, um, information of common uh, things that happened uh, can be found between the dynasties. We have um, we have archaeological evidence from the sixth dynasty um, records, Egyptian records referring to um, destruction that took place during the end towards the end of the sixth dynasty, which really uh, identifies um, uh, remarkably with the catastrophic plagues of. Uh, which, uh, which which took place just before the Exodus. We have again, we have a list of slaves from the 13th dynasty, um, Jewish slaves, which clearly took place uh, during the time of the persecution of, uh, of 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 the Israelites, well, under the Egyptians. Uh, we have records of when the 13th dynasty uh, finished. We have. Correlations between um, the 18th dynasty and the 13th dynasty, and uh, the information of the Exodus calamities with the 6th dynasty, um, puts all those three uh, into one area of history. And we find that um, each kingdom has it was its own base, it actually didn't interfere. Uh, we know the Hyksos were in the north. We know the 13th were in the south, and we know um, the 18th were in the middle. So we find um, corroborating evidence that the three uh, empires could have coexisted uh, um, at the same time uh, at the time of the of the Exodus. So it's really all the Exodus evidence which directs us to tell us uh, what actually happened um, uh, and how the three dynasties were actually reigning at the same time. Wow. So how do you present your work to um, to either mainstream audiences or, or kind of uh, mainstream academia? Is it is it <laughs> is it tough uh, to, to do? Um, you know, have, have you been able to at least kind of have a conversation there? How, how does that go? Right. Well, in um, changing history is a very slow process. Um, and Something uh, really what, what 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 we basically discovered is that Egyptian history, because of these um, um, overlaps of dynasties, it was all basically before the Exodus. Um, there's actually a contraction of almost 800 years of Egyptian history. So we're not talking about 3000 BCE. We're talking about the beginning of the Egyptian era in 2000 BCE, which fits in with the biblical data. Um, now, that is a tremendous upheaval um, for Egyptologists, so it's not easy for them to digest. Um, but the evidence is there, it's robust, it's multiple, it's diverse, uh, and slowly but surely, um, such platforms like yourself, which present uh, uh, awareness to the public of evidence which is out there, uh, which demonstrates that... Uh, uh, a revision of Egyptian history is really called for, um, all brings that time closer. Uh, there is another factor that Egyptian history um, is not, is actually the absolute dating of Egyptian history, as I mentioned before, is actually based on the dating of the Syrian uh, era, the Babylonian era, and the Persian era. Uh, and um, in a previous book, The Challenge of Jewish History, um, I discovered evidence that um, the Persian era has been misplaced. Uh, in fact, it was alongside the Greek era, not before the Greek era. The latter Persian era was actually alongside the Greek era. Uh, in fact, the more one looks into the archaeological 
evidence of the Persian and Greek era, one can see clearly that the two empires coexisted. And basically bringing down the Persian era alongside the Greek era automatically, like a train, pulls down the Syrian era and the whole of the Egyptian era. Um, so what we're, what we're saying is that it's not only that uh, Egyptian era in itself has to be contracted 800 years, it also has to be shifted about 200 years further forward in time. Um, but the evidence in support of that is, is astronomical uh, in both meanings of the word. Uh, we have astronomical dates besides for the Sotic dates, we have astronomical dates from the um, the 12th dynasty of Egyptian kings, which has been puzzling and vexing um, chronologists, which don't fit in in the era which they've set the 12th dynasty, um, but um, fit in with the era which we have assembled according to the biblical dating, authentic uh, archaeological evidence, as well as astronomical date from Alpha Time Papyri, which was a thousand years later. And therefore, the, 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 the correlation, the harmony of astronomical dating from the 12th dynasty with astronomical dating from the uh, 27th dynasty with the biblical data and all the archaeological informa information which you have from all civilizations. But, and I, I do stress because um, all civilization, the history of all civilizations is really um, uh, dependent on where you place Egyptian history because Egyptian history interacted with the civilizations and civilizations have been dated according to the Egyptian history where Egyptian history has been based on the Assyrian history. Once everything moves, basically the whole of um, the, his civilization, the history of civilization um, needs to be reconsidered. Uh, with the, so it's a big work ahead, uh, but the evidence is there and slowly but surely, um, people are hearing about it and getting satisfied with the proofs and are asking for um, reconsideration. Yeah, well, that's fascinating stuff. I could see how it would be uh, hard for someone to digest if you say, well, your whole framework <laughs> needs to be changed. But uh, maybe uh, maybe one fact at a time, you know. Um, but uh, Alexander Hull, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I feel like there's so many different like you know, rabbit holes we could go down. Uh, but uh, thank you for also coming on very late on, on your time today, uh, given the time difference. Uh, any last thoughts on our discussion today and uh, where can people go to find out more? Um, yes, I, 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 I'd like to thank you so much for uh, allowing me on the show. And I think I'd like to emphasize that once again, that platforms like yourself um, to present to the public uh, information, new information, a new way of looking at things. Yes, uh, sometimes it does involve an upheaval, but in the quest of the truth, it is so uh, worthwhile um, in discovering the, the true events, to be able to get history right, and to analyze uh, the relevant information. We do have so much new information now, uh, so much information which is really authentic and not susceptible not susceptible to uh, falsification and should be given uh, full light um, in order that the world should come to recognition um, of the truth of history. And really, at the end of the day, it's really the truth of the Bible. Uh, that's what we're working to be able to get to. Um, I would uh, um, I would invite anyone to, uh, to, to try and locate the book, Pharaoh, uh, um, which brings down the, 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 the investigations which we have made, uh, bringing down the evidence. I'd also like to uh, uh, suggest reading The Challenge of Jewish History. Uh, it's again, it's on the Persian era. It's a completely different set section of history. But if you go into it a bit more, uh, you will realize that actually they're interconnected and all the evidence on one book actually provides uh, corroboration and confirmation to the evidence of the other. So there, um, uh, it, there is, there's a lot of work to be done, um, but uh, to to get involved in it uh, with, with the information which we have now, um, things can move. Appreciate it. Those all go on the show notes page. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you too. All right. Further thoughts. I would, um, if I were, you know, going to try to, 
try to uh, you know <laughs> promote this uh, alternative, I would find the best piece of evidence that disrupts the mainstream chronology and try to debate that rather than the whole thing. You know, I would personally would focus particularly on the sixth dynasty to see that if we can verify um, any of the uh, kings in that dynasty and uh, particularly Pepe the second and uh, where they relate uh, to, uh, to, to the kings before and after it, because there is, there is some evidence in the book about, uh, you know, kings lists that seem to, that are, that are, you know, set in, in stone in ancient Egypt that, that seemed to put them elsewhere. So I, you know, I, I think focusing on that, uh, focusing on that and seeing if we could fal- falsify one side or the other would be my, uh, my hunch here. So, um, so that's interesting. I, I think often a, a single shock can, uh, can lead to further changes. All right. I want to know what you think. Check out maximum.locals.com to check out our locals and to email us at localmaxradio at gmail.com. Hope everyone's doing well. Have a great week, everyone. That's the show. To support The Local Maximum, sign up for exclusive content and our online community at maximum.locals.com. The Local Maximum is available wherever podcasts are found. If you want to keep up, remember to subscribe on your podcast app. Also, check out the website with show notes and additional materials at localmaxradio.com. If you want to contact me, the host, send an email to localmaxradio at gmail.com. Have a great week. Feel the power.